0: This episode of After the Whistle contains profanity. Listener discretion advised. Please enjoy.
1: Episode 88, and our guest today is Turner Stevenson, first-round pick of the Montreal Canadiens back in 1990, Stanley Cup champ with the Devils in 03. And uh former teammate of, of our very own Craig Reve. So we walked yeah. Turner, Turner's team. Better, as well as show. better
0: known as Fathead because he had yeah. the biggest cranium I have ever seen in the history of hockey. <laughs> I remember taking T's helmet, okay, in the locker room. I don't know if you remember this, T, but I used to put your helmet on and I can turn, turn it around <laughs> 360s without even having any stoppage at all. His head was absolutely insanely big but uh T and I uh we we played uh you know I was a young buck at the time I was a real young guy T uh you know was a couple years older than I was but we kind of came up at the same time we played in the minors a little bit we played in played in Montreal and worked our way onto the team and uh I'm going to tell you we we had a we had a lot of fun we had a lot of fun that's for sure
2: we definitely did, and you could. And my and my head's still the same size; it hasn't shrunk at at all. It's the only thing that I have no hair left, so it it it's a little a little bit uh, not as tight as it used to be, but it's still the same.
1: Is that an optional hairdo, or is that did the, is that did, did that uh, no, happen? that's not optional. That's
2: that's okay. uh, years of years of having to bail out all bad defensemen I used to play with in Montreal. <laughs> so I lost my hair doing that. Uh,
1: yeah. Hey, so you know what? Uh, one story I'll get into quickly before we get into your, you know, life after hockey, during hockey, all of it. But one story, I, I your name came up. We were talking with Jeremy Roenick, and we were talking about the credit card game, and, um. <laughs> we were talking about losing the credit card game and the, uh, the, the rush of being like down to the last two credit cards in the hat or whatever at dinner. And Craig proceeded to tell us a story about your terrible luck, uh, a bad beat in the NHL when it comes to credit card games. Is this real? He said maybe 10 games in a row that might have been lost.
2: Well, well, it, it was it was that bad. Yeah, I know. I don't know if it was ten, but what the, the first one, uh, the first one we had was at, like, you said, and I know this is a favorite uh, spot of, of ribs is uh, is Gibby's in Montreal. Uh, the summer my after I think my rookie year or my second year I, we were getting married. I was that's that's the summer I was getting married. And we had Mike Keene on our team, old line, but especially Keener was always, uh, always joking around. Like, he, he's the king. Like, he, like in, as far as ripping guys and everything, Mike Keene is the, is the best of all time. Well, he had set it up with the restaurant, we're going to play the credit card game. And same thing, we've got all, you know, a bunch of the teammates and then even some other guests, like 10 people. And, of course, I need every dime you know, I'm getting married in Seattle. So we're the American conversion rate. I need every dime I can rub together just to get, you know, put this wedding on. Well, he had set it up with the waitress before, like she's, they're going to get my card and they're going to hold it on the bottom. She's going to hold the thing a certain way, or they put tape in the bottom of it where my card's on the bottom. And I end up paying this thing. And I remember my wife or my fiance at the time, <laughs> her flipping out, and then it went on a it went in on a streak of like you said epic proportions where I'm due to get out of the city and it, it got to the point I quit like I, I basically even we go out wine steak or whatever and I'd throw down five hundred bucks because I knew I was getting off cheap like I'm not playing and I quit this game and they were all they they bugged me all the time but it was it was that bad yeah it was that bad
0: but I remember I remember because you and I and the group of us that we had always went to dinner together and i remember being in this group and i have never seen a guy lose more games in a row like i mean not like you lose three and then you know you 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 have a couple wins and you went on a tear where you It was devastating. It was almost like guys were like, holy jumping, man, like savvy and all those guys were laughing their heads off at you. And um you you did get nice, nice guys, eh, Turner?
2: Oh, yeah. Like awful. Awful. Misery. (laughs) They never let you down. Well, we we had a good group of guys, like and we would we would always go for dinners and stuff like that, but it was it was a lot of fun, but it was, uh, yeah, there was no letting off the hook. Like, they're, you know, like any team, good team, they're, they're kicking you when you're, you're down. Like, it, it's all, it's like dumb and dumber when he falls down. He has, like, he bites into the bad burger and he's dying. Like, that's, that's they're all last standing over me laughing. That, that's exactly what it was. Like, ha, ah. ha. Hey, it was just a goof, man. It was just a goof. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you'll, you'll win next
0: time. You're guaranteed oh, yeah, to yeah. win next time. And yeah, Turner you're, you're, was you're like, good. he wouldn't, he didn't want to bring, he wanted to pay the money. He's like, listen, this is what I, this is what I ate. And I'm just going to pay my share, you know? And then all of a sudden, it's just kind of like the guys are relentless. Turner, you're going to win this one. You're going to, you're you're not paying anything. And then they talk him into it. He puts the credit card in. And he would lose again. You should have heard the amount of guys that are hysterically laughing in these high-end steak restaurants all over the United States. It was, it was unbelievable. But those and are the guys making absolute uh, millions
1: and have made millions before just rubbing it in guys like us.
2: Oh, well, the, the best part of it, it actually brought some of our team together because now we had, guys, like, we had Russian and French guys. Hey, we're, we're going with the English guys to meals and everything like we're going out with these guys because i'm not paying you know turner's gonna we're gonna play this game as long as we'll come as long as we play the credit card game and turner's there we'll we'll, we'll go um but but it was great the older i remember the guys were starting to make a lot of money and, and we had guys like recky and turgeon and depth where they would take us out later in the year's team uh team meals which was which is also nice for them to pick it up but but i did uh i my first couple years in uh, in montreal losing uh, a few paychecks to uh, two team meals, to say the least.
1: How much are we talking? Like, if you had to throw a rough estimate, on... oh
0: Jesus! <laughs> what was what was the biggest one that you that you lost? Oh, the big.
2: Well, I think the biggest one. I think when we used to always go was Del
0: Friscos in Dallas. I think
2: like before they took off, and it was so bad. I'd not even put the number out there. I, it was bad. It was bad enough. I think we we're there for a while that Reki and Turjan and. Malakoff, i think took us out like the whole team because I, I didn't think we had anybody everybody at the meal but it was pricey and i just remember i always remember going out afterwards the meal after that they took us out to because i remember uh when our Pierre gervais who's still there our great trainer who's, uh, rich, who's
0: retiring this year t correct yes yeah. correct
2: and he, huge wine collection, like he, like Patrick Waugh, it was, had, had, you know, would gift him all these great bottles of wine. And I don't, if you remember this, and this is when we were just starting getting into wine, Mark Recky kind of got me into wine. Uh, and we order this couple huge Magnums, this one big, like seven liter Magnum. And they pour this thing out at Del Frisco's and Jerv does the tasting to see if it's okay. And you know, it's a couple thousand dollar bottle this is back in like in 96 or seven or oh, even more than that back. and nope, it's no good <laughs> so we're, we're all looking around like is this guy did this guy just do that and, and the, the the they don't have the wine store yet pouring it out there he's gonna come and taste it or do it they have the like the staff doing it and this little this girl goes ghost white like she doesn't know what to do this is like a you know four or five thousand dollar bottle of wine. And she goes, goes, what? Thanks. Well, okay. Uh, you know, so they come running out and the, the wine stores taste, taste the wine. And it was vinegar. You could smell it. And I don't know if the cork cracked or whatever, but I always remember that trip of doing that. And Jur was right. They sent it back, brought us out a whole new, a whole new batch of wine. It was, uh, But to have that, like, I was just starting that. I don't care if it was vinegar
1: with that, Gus. I'm not sending it back. Turner, <laughs> uh, I,
0: I want to ask you something. Takes a lot of balls to
1: send back that bottle of wine, does it not? One hundred percent, one hundred percent. God, this
0: is this a confident guy. He was a legendary, even back then. He was a legendary trainer in the league. Pierre Gergay is is literally the best. Um, Del Frisco's, Dallas, seven liter bottle of wine amongst I don't know how much more we drank. Was that the night? when one of the players on the team after the dinner wanted to go to the strippers and we had a game, we had a big game the next night. And I think it was, was. I think it was, uh, (laughs) that sounds like every night before
1: a game on the road on, yeah, but this
0: was, this was extra because the boys let loose. They let loose And they wanted to go for, uh, you know, some time after, and then all of a sudden I, I can't remember who it was, but one of the top guys, one of the leaders basically shut it all down and said, no, I want everyone back in their rooms. Do you remember that?
2: I think it was one of the, I I think I remember the night and I think it was that night. And I don't know. All right. Because uh, that, do you
0: know that that was my very first road trip? Yes, yeah that was my that very was first early. road trip on the road was del- we went to Dallas, yes. and we ate at del Frisco's. yeah,
2: it was and that's that's still my favorite spot. the original del Frisco's in Dallas, and <laughs> Petey, you're not wrong that's uh, that's happened to a few teams in on the road in Dallas, I'm sure <laughs> Well from time I mean, to time. My, my
0: roommate um my first roommate in, in the National Hockey League. Was a guy of the uh, named uh, Andre Kovalenko. Okay, the Russian tank. Do you remember what he used to do to his steaks?
2: I don't remember what he did to his steaks. I remember he used to
1: nonstop smoke. <laughs> well, that's the next story I'm going to get. Yeah. But can I guess what he did? Can I guess? He's yep. obviously Russian. Yes.
0: Sour cream. Sour cream. And I mean oh, yes, we're yeah, talking yeah, yeah. two inches of sour sour cream on top of the steak. And he's just crushing this like 30, 40 ounce steak with a with a pound of sour cream on top of it. But getting into my my first my my first roommate, which was this guy, Andre Kovalenko, nicknamed the Russian tank. Is he was a, the biggest chain smoker I've ever seen in my entire life. Like there was not a, there was not one second that he did not have a dart in his mouth. Okay. And I remember one night that I was a a very young guy and I was just super happy to be there, but obviously very nervous. So I, I lay down and he, all he wanted to watch was these infomercials. Okay, of like juicers and stuff like that. So he gets up after a while and he goes to the bathroom. And just as he's getting up to go to the bathroom, I have to go to the bathroom really bad. So now I'm like, okay, I'll just wait till he gets out. Well, he's in the bathroom. I am not kidding you for two hours. And he's a huge (laughs) book reader, right? Yeah. So now he's reading the book. He's on the can, he's on the can, can. he's on the can. He's in the bathroom two hours. I'm thinking to myself, what the hell is he doing in there? I'm like, what the hell is he doing in there? Right? (laughs) So finally, two hours later, I'm getting my clothes on because I have to go downstairs to hang a piss because I am going to explode. I can't wait a second longer. Okay. I'm like literally bent over. That's how bad it was. So finally out, he comes, turns off the lights in the room and turns off the TV and gets into bed. I'm standing there trying to pull my pants on. <laughs> so now I'm taking my pants off because I'm gonna go hang and piss. So I open the door, turn on the light. I'm not kidding you, Petey. I couldn't even see the toilet because there was so, so much smoke in there. It was literally cut like a, a, a huge, huge, just big cloud of smoke. So I close the door and I take the biggest breath and I go in there and I start to piss. Here's the thing. I had a minute and a half piss in me and I could only hold my breath for a minute. So I'm just like panicking because I've got to, I've got to inhale and I'm going to inhale literally a carton of cigarettes in, in one. I'll, I'll never forget that. And he never said a word to me in the room. You know, him, T like, he didn't say yeah. a word to anybody. He didn't talk to anybody. He was the worst roommate I've ever had, but it was just, you know, I'll never forget that. But anyway, well, I think ribs is not
2: telling the truth a little bit too on his, on his, uh, you know, he's just got called up and he, in his lack of confidence. Cause my first introduction to rib was, um, is in, in, in uh, Fredericton. <laughs> so he's drafted a year two after us. And can, I'm we're, we're playing the plus and they call him up they call, they call ribs up and Paul Amborlo is the coach. I think I'm in year two. Mm-hmm. And, um, Brian Savage is there at a college signs at a college. And and uh, him and Savvy and Ribs knew each other a little bit before that. And I get a call, I got to go in. One of my this is the start of my my many injuries. I'm icing or doing whatever on a, on an off day. And the coach comes in. Of course, this is way before cell phones. Where's this Rivet kid? I have no idea where he's at. You know, we, we just call him up. And it was optional that morning. So this, call, this kid's called Rayetta right Jr. <laughs> this kid's called Rayetta right Jr. his first time, the weekend of, of there. And of course, Savvy likes to have his pops as well. So that we all have a few drinks with us and everything. And ribs right at a Jr., 19 or 20, thinks he's Bobby Big Wheel the first weekend of pro. Well, he doesn't mean me for optionals. So, so this started our relationship way back then. Well, he's got some balls, so I'm, I'm going to actually like this kid. But that's his my first introduction is I'm going to take the optional practice the first weekend coming out of junior.
0: Well, you know what? Like, yeah, it was the wrong move. <laughs> yes, it was the wrong move now. But if you were to – like, I just came out off of, you know, two series or three series of – of playoffs. I was beat up. I was super tired. And then I had to pack my stuff, get on a plane where I've never even flown before. I fly out to Fredericton, you know, right away, I get off the plane. I've got to practice. I'm I'm super nervous and emotionally just drain physically everything. And there's an optional practice the next day, P. And I'm thinking the
2: only thing I think we're missing here is his mom didn't pack his stuff for him out of this story. Well, (laughs) she would have,
0: if she would have been in (laughs) Kingston, but, uh, but
1: but no, but
0: Hey, I I remember the, I remember
1: my first year in the minors. I I remember the first optional practice. I was playing in Rochester and all I hear is it's an optional skate. I'm like, well, what, what do you mean? We don't have to go on. And you know, and I was, Fourth line guy. I was in and out of the lineup my first year pro, well, pretty much my whole career, but that year. So I mean, I didn't know. I was young, dumb, and naive, and I'm just kind of like, fuck, I'm not I'm not going to the optional practice. And one of the veteran guys pulls me aside and says, Uh, it might be beneficial for you to show your face on that ice today because you, you don't you're not playing a ton. So I didn't know either. I was gonna take my option. I'm like, whatever. I mean, you're getting a free day off. I mean, you know, take it. But that's just, that's <laughs> ignorance and pro. But I mean, you know what, Turner, a good veteran might've said to him, get your ass on the ice. Well, of course,
2: you know, and I would have, and we're there. I didn't get a hold of him. Of course, Savvy, he, he would have in, in in a million years, but I guess I was a little afraid. I remember the story and this is just before me, my first training camp, um, that year the, the, the Canadians went to the final loss in, um, to Calgary. So I'm going into my first year in 90 when I was drafted and they had just lost, I think in six or seven games to the flames and Pat Burns was the coach, Pat Burns. who I ended up having later on in, in New Jersey again. And this is when, you know, Pat would scare the, the hell out of anybody. And this is why I always, this cured me of my super veteran, anything I was going to do, uh, Therese Breezeball, who we ended up playing with in Montreal for years. Um, uh, Played a little bit in the in the 89-90 final, I believe, or, or a couple of the games and or however many games he even played that year. But this is just the story becoming a training camp is um, during that training camp. They had a, a, a meeting with just the veterans. Well, Patrick uh, Patrice Brisebois thought, you know, because I played in the final or a couple of games last year that I'm now a veteran in the NHL. He hadn't had a full season and he comes wheeling into that meeting. And Pat Burns exited him out of that meeting quicker than his head could spin (laughs) thinking he was super And so we all hear this story and, and this is when Pat was mean and gruff. So anytime there was, I thought I was a veteran or not doing any optionals that, that was installed in me immediately with, uh, with Pat, the Pat Burns story started off my, my first training camp.
1: Well, you you were there. I mean, you played one game in ninety two, ninety three. I know you were that was basically your first year in Fredericton. Uh, by the way, great numbers your rookie year in the minors. Um, what was that like being around the team in ninety two, ninety three? They won the Stanley Cup. Did you have? Uh, were you around for for that uh, run? Were you a black ace at all?
2: Oh, of course I was, and I wanted to quit hockey. The the, the the worst thing ever being a black ace. Like especially when you look back after when I when I got traded. Uh, to New Jersey, and then participate in the finals. So I that they obviously had a great team that year. but but when you're a black ace, and this is I we get we get called up out of the minors, and there's like three of us, three forwards, a defenseman. Jacques Lemaire, we, they and it's such a great place in Montreal, having these unreal Hall of Fame guys. Uh, Jacques Lemaire is the assistant general manager. so he he actually came on the ice with us, and Andre Boudrio was the director of player personnel. These two guys were like in their 50s, late 50s, and they would come on the ice, the three forwards, one goalie, and a D-man for the entire run of the Stanley Cup, like the entire time. Every round, we had Sundays off. Every other day, we weren't allowed to be around the team. We were there, and we would be on the ice for two hours a day. They would come and practice, and we would have to come back and, and do weights. Well, this, this teaches you how to be a professional player, definitely, but. After round one, after round two, like they didn't include us like a lot of the teams now, like they bring younger guys out, you see the guys come on the ice. There was none of that we we were like we were like the plague, we were not around the team. we didn't eat with the team, and it was hell like it was it was absolute hell for two and a half months uh of doing that but then and then they go out to l a like usually you know. The great part of it was used to in the old form, we used to watch great hockey. We used to get to watch the games. We'd come to the games and watch these guys play, which was great. So they play the first two at home and split them. That was the the McSorley illegal stick thing. And then they go to LA and win game three. Okay, guys, thanks for your service. Then sent us home. They don't even let us come back or hold on to us until they come back and win it at home. We didn't. I was halfway back across the country driving home. Um back to Seattle here when, when they won the cup. So yeah. It no was, way. It you was, weren't even allowed to be around. Nope. Nope. After they won game three, we were sent home. We were sent, we were sent home. So I'm traveling. I'm like in Montana when they won the Stanley cup in game five.
1: How are you feeling? How does that, how did that make you feel? I mean, obviously you're a young kid. You couldn't really have any part of it anyway, but I mean, did you feel left out?
2: Well, you know, I no, not at all. Like I didn't, I didn't, you know. And I, I think, you know, I wasn't part of the team. you, you see, guys that, I, you know, I've, I've, I've played with other guys who, who play a game in the NHL. Their names on the cup, or they even have rings. I've got uh, a couple guys like that, and they don't feel part of it. I, I didn't feel, I didn't feel left out. Uh, you know, the 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 tough part was, and that's how Montreal did it. The tough part for me was. You know, could I have done more to play that year to actually be on the team? Like, could I've you know, you know, during the year or even leading up to it, you know, make the team? But obviously, I wasn't ready. And, and Montreal does a great job, and I always credit them that with that. That's what allowed me to play a long time. Is going to Fredericton, um, learning learning to be a professional. You know what what it takes, and especially once I you know turned into a role player, I was a different player at junior than I was and how I had to change and accept, um, you know, being a two way player, you know, fighting in the odd time and doing that stuff. And I, I did that in junior as well, but I didn't really understand that until, until playing in in the minors and getting in, uh, when when I actually did uh, make it called up when Paul, for the last time, uh, during the lockout year, Ah, uh, permanently. You know, I, I just said to myself, I'm not coming back here. Uh, I've done I've done all I can to sleep, and if I if I come back here again, I'm not playing. I'm not. Uh, I've done everything I can do here, and then, but I, and I never came back. So it was it was a, it was a great learning experience for me how to go through, the ups and downs, and and I think a lot of kids today, you know, when I was coaching junior, watching these kids that's tested. like you get you know you get kicked in the nuts a hundred times they cut you they send you down they do all those things that turns you into a pro turns you into a professional player
0: you know what I, turner i i i think to my first year pro and i think i talk i was talking about this with pd uh you know a couple of weeks ago but we were we were talking about The players that I had witnessed, and I'm sure that you saw the same thing in the times that you were in the minors. There was guys that got called up, okay, played well, but then got sent down. And you got to witness the players that had the right attitude. There was so many players that we witnessed that were pouting that almost because they got sent down, they started to give up almost like screw this team. I'm not riding the bike. I'm not going to do the extra. I'm not going to stay on the ice. We're, we're going to, I'm going to show them. And they didn't realize that the only ones they were hurting was themselves. It was a,
2: and you You remember Jerry, big Jerry Fleming, a huge guy who was you know, taken out of senior men's hockey. And he, I, I credit a lot of Jerry. Like he took me aside. He was one of the guys like, Hey, you know, you need to get on the bike. You need to be in better shape. One of the things, and Pete, you rem- you mentioned my my numbers. My first year in the minors, like it was, it was. You know, I got sat down, and I was opposite of a lot of guys. Like I could fight, and I could do things, but Montreal wanted me to score more. They wanted me to be more offensive. Like they want, so I did that, and I did. Like I didn't have that many fights at all my first year in the minor, and it affected me. Like it. That's not how I was drafted. That's not how I was changed, and. I remember guys getting called up and this is, I, I credit Paul and Borlow with a lot of this stuff is I get, I get all these different guys getting called up and I'm not, and I'm banging my stick and I'm doing what ribs is saying. I'm pouting and and Paul Ann calls me into the office uh, and he goes, what's the problem here? And I go, well, you know, I, again, I'm entitled or. I'm the first round pick. Why am I not getting drafted? And I always, it always clicked with me. It was kind of that light bulb moment in my career. There's, and this, this was a big one was, he goes, why would I recommend you go into the NHL? He goes, you're not even the best player here. And it it was, it was uh, like someone punched me right in the face. He was right. I wasn't the best player there. I wasn't dominating the minors and you have to dominate the level you're at. So I, I got up and I
0: said, that'll never or happen again. Or at least again. dominate. When you say dominate the, your position. the level you're your, at, your, you have feet, to dominate yes. your position. If you're, a, if you're a goal scorer, you need to score goals. If you're a Correct. setup man, you need to have a lot of assists and to make people better. If you're a fighter, you need to go out and scare the bejesus out of the others. If you're a defensive role player, then you need to shut down other lines. When you Correct. say that, I just want to clarify for people listening. Be the best player that you are.
2: Yeah, and what they kind of draft you for, and then the next part of that. So I get called up, and then I make the team. So in ninety-three, four, I make the team, and the lockout happens, and this actually saves my career. Like it, I always look because, and this is Ribs's first kind of second year in the month, and we had good young guys, which actually really helped. We had Dave Wilkie was down there, Tucker, Bure, Chris Murray, a couple, a bunch of Western Hockey League guys. So it was a great group of guys. And so I was one of the only guys left on uh, a two-way contract. So my original, and if you were on a one-way, you couldn't, you couldn't like, like nowadays you can't go down to the minors. So they, I'm only, this is, I'm only 20, 22 still 23 years old, if that. And they, uh, they go, well, do you want to go play in the minors? I'm going, well, yeah, I want to play. I want to. And so I go down for whatever the first 37 games and, that's when you would use the word dominate. Like I make the all-star game. Like I, it, it was weird because it was, uh, I, it was like a free for all for me. I knew I was soon as the locker was done with that was, I thought it was to be a week or 10 days. I was going right back up to play in the Canadians, but I got to play and I got to play three quarter. You know, we it went all the way to Christmas and then I was called up for the remaining 29, 30 games left in the year. So it was, um, And that was a big springboard for me that really cemented me as a player. And I got to play after that. And I had the confidence to play and I was in great shape when I went up and I didn't look back from there.
0: You know, what's crazy about that. You you say that you were like one of the veterans on the team. Do you know you're 22 years old at the time? Do you know that you were the fifth oldest player on the team?
2: Yeah, no, it was a bunch of the oldest guy was
0: Gaston Gingra who played a long time in the NHL who just for some reason wanted to kind of like kick he around like Regg Dunlop.
2: Yeah, they brought Reggie Dunlop. By. The only yep. he was missing was the leather suit. Like he would come <laughs> back and had an unreal cannon. They brought him by un, like shortest the stick unreal and, and slap shot.
0: Shortest stick ever too.
2: Ever, yes. And had a and great guy. He'd just come down and hang out with us guys and it was great.
0: Yeah. Mario Roberge was 30 years old. Jerry Fleming was 27. And Craig Ferguson, our captain, was 24, and you were the fifth youngest or oldest guy at 22. We had an extremely young team,
2: too. And that's, and that's, and the, the great thing about the minors then compared to now was back then, especially for a forward, is they only, you could only dress 10 forwards. You could only have three lines and a spare because they used to, you know, and they they put that rule in for a few years because everyone would send down their tough guys, and we'd have you know have a line or two of just full-on tough meatheads. Well, you're not developing any 19 and 20 year olds when you send them out against players like that. So you could only dress 10. Like, didn't matter if you sucked three games in three nights; you were playing. Like, no matter what, you were playing. It was great for it was great for learning the game.
0: One of the toughest teams that I've ever played on turner stevenson who you were you were playing in a role as 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 an uh you know a first or second liner we had donald brashear turner stevenson we had mario roberge we had chris murray who is like literally the heavyweight of the western hockey league you had jerry fleming and i told the story about jerry jerry fleming t where I showed up to training camp, my very, very first training camp. And you remember going to uh, the Verdun or, or the Montreal general, and we're all in a line getting our height and weight. The guy in front of me was Jerry Fleming and the guy behind me was Donald Brashear. <laughs> and at this time I got drafted as a third round draft pick. I was 17 years old. I was six to 172 pounds. I weighed jerry fleming stepped on the scale he was 6'6 and he weighed 282 do you remember that
2: he's 100 pounds more than 100 well i the the funniest part of that whole story is even there and then we got into our our testing and they would do the bench press and uh whatever it was 145 and this little french goalie in ribs drafter might have been i forget even who it was they get on there and they're doing their bench and this kid can't even do one. Like he, he puts it, like the bar is going to snap his head off. Well, Brash is behind him. And Brash is right out of Serrano, out of, out of, out of uh, Major League. Like he's that ripped and that big. This kid can't get up once or rip, He's spotting him. So he brings it up. And as he spots him, whatever it is, 145, he decides to rip off 25 arm curls <laughs> while he's standing over top of this little French guy. It Brash was, 100, it was 150
0: doing, pounds. And Donald yeah, Sheer's
2: off 25 of them like nothing. <laughs> arm curls. So we're, we're all laughing and we're just arm curls. This kid can't do one and, and brash was that was that big and and, in, in that kind of shape. It was it was impressive to watch.
0: I do oh. remember uh the one training camp I was at, my very first training camp, the one that I'm talking about, and I remember um having to wait, obviously. To all of the veterans that were playing on the team, I had to wait until they did all their testing because they went before everybody. Then the guys from the minors and then older guys. I was like the last guy to do everything. Okay, And I remember watching a bunch of the, um, the, the Montreal Canadian veterans do it. And then it came to Patrick Waugh and the guy, those guys that are running the test. say, Hey, Patrick, you're up on bench. And he goes, bench uh, bench press doesn't stop pucks that's it just walked out he goes put me down as zero and i'm thinking to myself <laughs> i'd like to get to that point
1: oh that that's that's when you know you are almost bigger than the team you know what i mean when you can when you can walk in there and say
0: market zero next, a god next he was frame. a god yeah there there's listen i mean there's been elite and there's been elite players. Montreal is a very, very difficult place to live. Um, It's, it's, it's it's one of the most beautiful countries in North America or, or cities in North America, restaurants, nightlife, you know, fashion, you name it, you, you get everything there, but it's a very difficult place to play because you are, you are recognized. You can't go anywhere. And Patrick Waugh, like he is a player, like there's an, there's an elite status of players in, in, in Quebec, in Montreal. Patrick Waugh couldn't go out, Petey. Like his, no, like I, Michael Jordan. his he, life sucks. Like Michael Jordan. His life sucked. Yeah, I, I he couldn't it. go out anywhere. He couldn't go to dinner. He couldn't go anywhere without being mobbed. So it was tough on these guys. It's
1: interesting that you say that. And I, I you know,
0: because I, I played with Brodeur for one year, Turner, and I know
1: you guys were super tight because your name used to come up all the time when I played there. I only played one year. But the night before my first game in Jersey, Pat, uh, Patrick, well, um, Marty Brodeur took me and his brother and I think a couple other people that he knew for dinner at this restaurant in, I don't know, it was in Jersey somewhere out near West Orange, something like that. And um, it was in a hotel. It was a steakhouse in a hotel. And the place was packed. And we had a round table in the middle of the restaurant and nobody bothered him. Nobody, I don't even think anybody realized it was him. And I just, I remember turning to him and saying, my God, if you were in any other city right now, you are getting bombarded at the table with autographs and pictures and all this stuff. And I just couldn't believe it. I couldn't imagine being Patrick Waugh living in, uh, in, in Montreal playing for the Habs. It must've been, it must've been miserable for him. but I want to ask you about him. What was he like? I mean, Rivs has a great story about him that he's told a bunch of times, but what was he like? And you were there Were you you were there when he went up. I know Riv was on the team, but when he went up, when you guys were playing Detroit and gave the old I'm done.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, the, 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 he was good. He was always good to me. Like I, I, I never had any issues with the well the lead up to it was you know, a lot of it was in French, but what, what, you know, I'm sure that the story has been told by a hundred different guys was him and, him and Mario. And it was a weird, sit where roommates or, you know, they played together. So they played together towards the end of Mario's career. And, um, I think a lot of it, a lot of the, the issues come from, from, I don't know if, if Patrick didn't respect him and it was, I don't want, and I don't want to say, and I don't speak in front of Patrick, well, obviously, but the, the, the whole vibe was weird because we, we went from, we went from having searched some art as the GM, Jock Demers two years before winning the Stanley cup to Mario Trombley was on the radio. He, he was like, you see Martin St. Louis now right out of midget. guess he, coach and midget or coach and his son is coach the montreal canadian well mario was on the radio ray Hule was the molson beer rep like for the team and for like i would you know i had my wedding and then i had my you know my bachelor party or my fishing trips i'm calling ray Jan hey i need 30 flats of beer for a weekend with my buddies and two months into the season he's now the gm of the montreal canadians and he's he's the manager of our softball team when you, when you came into Montreal. So so I don't know if the guys were taking the, the the whole thing seriously. And I think where Mario screwed up was he was making an example of Patrick, which was, which was whether you like Patrick or you agree or Patrick struggling, you don't, you don't show guys up. And I think, you know, even Yvonne Cornway was the assistant, you know, after, you know, it was four or five, nothing. He still wouldn't pull him. And then we get into the dressing room after the second. And it's an FU contest in French, like you read about. Like it's a it's a full on you know, between Mario and, and, and Patrick. He won't take him out or whether he thought he should or I, I don't know what was all said because they were arguing in French. So then we go for the the second or third. It's all bad. It's and it's not getting any better. And then how's the everyone on the couple. team
1: doing though? Like before, before, just to stop you right there, like, is everyone kind of like are their assholes puckered up? Are they kind of like, Oh my God, this is so uncomfortable. Or are, are you loving it? I mean, cause there were times where a coach and a player would get into it with each other. And you're like, this is amazing. I love this. Well,
2: it's weird. Cause it happened to me later in my career, but it, it's, it, but again, I think this is where the Montreal part of things play into, into playing in Montreal. Like you're, you're, you, it's, you know this is a this is a big game and i don't even it might have been this is back when you know hockey night in canada was a one night you know it's a big we used to play at eight o'clock on the saturdays we would actually bump it back and play late and so this is this we weren't we weren't you know especially still being pretty young we weren't there was no giggling or snickering about this thing we're just going we're like what the hell's going on here basically and you know, you still, you know, you're still playing for the Montreal Canadiens. You want this to work out well. So then he makes a save after letting in a couple more. From like they dump it in from like the red line, and he stops it. Like he kicks it on purpose, kind of into the corner, and the whole place starts. Which is, which is again typical Montreal. They start cheering him. So then he puts his hands over his head, and you know he starts spinning. And again, this is the guy who who's won them the Stanley cup, you know, two years or two and a half years prior that, that they don't win with without Grady played. And then I think they chuck in eight or ninth. Then now, now the ninth goes in and now we're going to decide, Oh, this is a great idea and let's pull up. <laughs> so of course, back then, as ribs, I'm sure said that, that, uh, the owners and everybody, it, there's no glass behind the, the old Montreal Forum or the Maple Leaf, all the old buildings. There was none of that. You would have uh, the Maple Leaf Gardens. It would sit next to you. So he's wheeling by there. And you can see um, that, you know, he goes by and sees the owner there, or sorry, sees Ronald Corey there, slams on the e-brake and says what he says in French, that he's not playing there again. And then Ronald, and then Ronald
0: the, Corey being the, yeah, the president, the president of the, of the
2: team. team and then he stops and and we go into the room afterwards and he was undressed and left right away. Like it happened. And then, um, where things kind of got sideways, well, and I don't know if this would have changed, you know, I think, you know, we would have been able to talk him off the cliff, but, uh, or, or management would have, but then he addressed the media that, that he wanted to, you know, that he wasn't playing. Um, and then what, you know, kind of happened to him was his agent, his old agent, um, was now or the previous year was hired in uh, Lacroix, was the GM who was hired in in Colorado. That's who got the job there. And that used to be Patrick's agent before all all this happened. So I don't know if if that wasn't guy wasn't in place, if it would have went to Colorado or if it would have went down the way it did, or if Serge Savard was still there. Uh, I'm not accusing every like it was, but you know Mario is a former player and Mario went on to be in Minnesota from what all the reports I hear from guys like he was Maire's assistant coach in Minnesota, a great assistant coach, guys love him and I like Mario, I thought he was good but being I had
1: him in Jersey for a year. He was yeah. he was he was Lemare's assistant in New Jersey. Assistant? Yeah, and the guys love him,
2: but as being as the head coach under the pressure cooker of, you know, the Montreal Canadiens and the Montreal Forum, um, as your first gig, <laughs> might might be a little a little too much and then being a former player you don't do that like yes there's issues and there's fights with players and coaches but the the those are things that should happen in the dressing room um you know to keep those you know under wrap to keep your team and especially in Montreal especially everything's under the microscope and everything is there's 50 different guys and you know, 50 different guys trying to, you know, sewer your career. And and that's the, I, I learned that early on playing there is you're not pleasing everybody. There's no way to do that. And I think that's where guys get frustrated playing there is, is to your point with the Broder story about being in a restaurant with them where you get to be just a player in, in yeah. those other cities and get to play. And and that was uh that was a big success for me later on in my career.
1: What was What was the next practice like after that?
2: Oh, what was the next day like at the rink? Oh, it was awful.
1: It was awful. Like
2: it was, it was. um, You know, it was all quiet, and we didn't know. And and then then that that scene, what what, the whole thing was just, and it changed the Canadians for uh, for years. Like it it really, like even though we had some good teams after that, not only not only what what really happened there was Patrick doing what 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 happened with him, but then the trade was made. Uh, You know, so, and they took, you know, I always call it the heart and soul of the team. Like they took the the best player and then they, they threw in our captain, like Mike Keane was the captain and Mike was going through, which was brutal as well. And, And it still goes on even today in Montreal with, with Mike and, and made it, you know, clear the previous kind of the previous year and towards the start of that season before everyone was fired that you know, that it was a big thing about English. Like, he wasn't, you know, he didn't speak English. Like, or, sorry, he didn't speak French. And, you know, he got on TV and they asked him about it. He goes, well, we talk, all the players talk when we do meetings, everything, everything's in English. I don't think it's, you know, I am I play hard. You know, again, another guy who won the Stanley Cup. But Mike Keen is a great warrior. Like, he, small guy, could fight, could do it. But, you know, just a great cat. He was great. Every And then went on for years to win after... <laughs> Him and Patrick getting traded to win multiple Stanley Cups. Yeah, he won three. Teams. He won
1: three yeah, exactly. cups, right?
2: And and so they trade Patrick, and then it was like, all right, well, that's not good enough. Let's just throw in the captain while we're at it. <laughs> so so now we don't have Mike. And then they go on that year The Colorado wins the cup that year with those players. So it really yeah. it really set things in a in a tailspin uh, for a couple of years. Um, you know, with trying to recoup, you know, I and mean, we got guys back, but it was, um, you know, and, and the guys came back, like Cole, like Riv said, Cole Blank was one of them. Rosinski was a great player for them. And then the, the guy I felt the worst for was Tebow. Like Tebow came as, as the swap, and Tebow had some good years and ended up being a good NHL goaltender. But under those circumstances, he was in a lose lose right from the beginning for, you know, when you, Everyone's cheering and we want Patrick Waugh out of town, and then they get Jocelyn Tebow, and then he couldn't win uh, for, for the life of him just because of the situation he was put in. Uh,
1: it's, it's amazing how one, one pivotal piece like Patrick Waugh can spiral the whole franchise completely, completely the other way.
2: Well, How? And, and ribs, ribs has a little bit to do with it. This this is another part. I always have a great story. with Ribs on,
1: I always like is like, ribs was always
2: the best on me teasing him all the time, and I always blame him because I'm
1: a. You
0: big don't just get guys. it from me, hey Rib. You get it literally no, you, you get, get, you get beamed down from, from everybody. I'm gonna tell you this. Well, he, I he earns it. <laughs> my young years in Montreal, I had, I I had more nicknames than any player in the history of the league. Teddy deuce Teddy. Like, I mean, it just went on and on these guys. Like I, I, I felt like I got picked on a lot, but I felt really, really deep down inside. I really actually felt because I would have reacted way differently with my personality if i felt like someone was disrespecting me i would have i would yeah if it was malicious yeah Yeah. yes these guys and we
2: and and he brought it all on himself like i always like so i started off with him i said it started with the and then i'd call him the metamorphosis because he would be grumpy you know he, he and i always call it this because he'd be grumpy after games i didn't get enough ice or you know and they would they would be on him and and he's a competitor. Was Riv like,
1: like that? I didn't get enough oh, ice type guy? Oh, no, my God. Start, so, Try so living my, in my fucking career, Riv. Well,
2: 100%. 100%. Hey? He, uh, like
1: he, wanna... he, only,
2: he only had 19 <laughs> not 27. He thought he should have been the top guy. I had 19 I didn't get on the seconds. Yeah. So so you would get him, and we go to restaurants, and we go out. And I'd like I said, and him and I, we'd hang out. Our wives would hang out. And I have to give it the first 30 minutes of the meal after just so ribs could have a beer or two just so finally he would lose. So it would, the metamorphosis would happen. He would start opening up. And then as, as the beers get going, it would be good. And then we could have, we could have a, a normal conversation. Then we get into his, his nickname and uh, he, he where, where Teddy comes in, I nicknamed him Teddy. We're all into dogs like Mike Keen had a Rottweiler. I Bolson, I had Mike Rottweiler tank. I got a ridge back, you know. Savvy had a big bull mast of all these guys. We all had dogs and they Dave, phenomenal dogs. Dave Manson dog. had, had Montreal. Montreal.
0: that fucking rowdy, crazy chocolate oh, lab that was lab. like on crack.
2: Scott Thornton had a huge lab as well. And then this, I don't know if, if you had dogs in downtown montreal right in downtown in montreal just up from from the old montreal forum this guy in the 1800s a lot of gave all his land away and even his fund to for a dog park like this land it's worth hundreds of millions of dollars is a dog park in the middle of downtown montreal so we're getting all these dogs and we call them ribs you guys i got a dog (laughs) So he comes wheeling in, and this is why I always call him Teddy since then. Even His name, Teddy, is on my phone when I got back in contact with him last year because I was checking to see if it was still his same number. And it was under Teddy. He comes wheeling in with this, I think it's like a toy poodle or one of these little tiny fifi. Like this thing's fitting in the palm of his hand. And he comes wheeling up into Montreal, I think, uh, whether it was the dog park or brought it in into the rink and he's got this thing on a leash it's like having a gerbil on a leash like it's (laughs) it's that tiny (laughs) so i'm calling him teddy and i've called him teddy ever since and it's (laughs) i remember i remember
0: i remember really early on i remember we played on the road um we had a couple games in the road we were on the road for like a week and got in late one night and uh all the boys um, showed up to the rink. You know the guy. You know some guys maybe needed to do a. You know Turner was was insane into Stairmaster and riding bikes and just he was always in really good shape. And Scott Thornton and all these guys. So every we all loved to be with each other. We loved to go to the rink. I was super young at the time, and we on on our Sunday on our day off, we decided that we were. We were going to bring our dogs to the rink because they took the ice out and they made it like it was like grass or something. I don't know what was going on there. So it was sand, it was sand,
2: the old form. Was was it sand? Okay. So, yeah.
0: So we get there and Turner's got a Rottweiler named Tank. It's the biggest fucking meatball dog I've ever seen in my life. Huge, bigger head than T, which is almost nearly impossible. He's got a Rhodesian Ridgeback that's like, uh, again, you know, Brian Savage has got a bull mastiff that is like ungodly in size. And it just goes on and on. Every Scott Thornton, Dave Manson, they're all, they all have their dogs there. Why bring my dog?